You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who inspire and intrigue me. I like going into the journey of their lives, starting with high school years or even earlier, and following their path to not just show their newest shiny accomplishments, but the twists and turns their life took them on and what motivated them to make the choices that they made and to change directions and more. I hope that by listening to other people's honest stories that you give yourself some more love, more compassion, and also give yourself more of a chance to make a choice, make a change, to simply enjoy your life more. On today's episode, I have Leo Flowers. He uh, is a former Division I college athlete. He has a master's in psychology. He is a comedian, an actor, and a podcaster. Uh, Super interesting. I discovered him from his podcast, which is called Before You Kill Yourself which is like, ooh, um, okay. <laughs> and I got to be a guest on his podcast as well. And um, I think it's really important that he is doing that podcast and having those conversations. Um, I got way into my own journey with um, suicide ideation back when I was 15 and thought more about it than I ever had. And it makes me want to do more to support people. <sighs> Because, wow, yeah, you just like never know. You never know what's going on with someone else. Um, And so often we want to like feel like, oh, I wish I had known or could have known. And it's really, uh, you know, you can be out there living and thriving your life and still feel these isolated feelings. Anyway, so yes, I got to be a a guest on his podcast and I really loved getting to talk to him on mine. So before I say, let's get into the episode, please, if you haven't yet hit follow, that's like the new subscribe, please before or after, before, if you've already listened to the podcast, not this one, but another episode um, at any time, please come and leave me a review for the podcast. That really helps podcasts become more discoverable, more found. So more people can be giving themselves some self-compassion, some love, and claiming their life. And if you leave a review, screenshot it, send it to podcast at yourjoyologist.com, and I'll send you a gift from my product line. All right, here we go. So I recently discovered you, I think because I saw, I think I saw Tracy Stanley, who's a past guest of mine, who I love. Was she a guest on your podcast? So I saw her sharing a clip, and I was like, wait, what is the name of this podcast? And so then it made me go figure out who you were. And then I was like, whoa, who is this person? Because I love getting into people's life journeys. And I love like showing people that there's, you know, like, it's not like you pick one thing with your life and you be that the rest of your life. And I don't know, I just love learning about people's journeys. So I was like, I want to talk to this guy. So I like to start kind of early. Uh, You can start before high school, but I love to know about high school years. And because I feel like it can be such a like time of like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And there can be this pressure from like parents or 
whatever, teachers, mentors, this, like you should do this or I should be that and blah, 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 blah. So where, what was your life in high school? And did you like have ideas about what you were going to be? Yeah, I was very clear. I, I, it was one of two options. Either I was going to go into the military uh, or go to college on a football scholarship. It was either or. And, you know, if I didn't get the football scholarship, I was going to join the military. But I was definitely getting out the house and I was definitely leaving Chicago. So you grew up in Chicago. And did you actually have interest in going into the military or was it simply like because, again, you want scholarship. So, like, I don't have money to pay for college. So if I go to the military, was that or? Absolutely. Yeah. It wasn't like I wanted to put my life on the line. Yeah. Always dreamed. No. None of that. As much as I loved war movies, you know, because I grew up in, a, in an era where war movies weren't sexy. They, they weren't glamorous. You know, I, I grew up in the time of uh, Full Metal Jacket and uh, I, f- I forget the name. There was like two other war movies that were released like in the in the 80s and they were brutal and graphic. You know, they were all about Vietnam. So, it, it, you know, it wasn't until recent that war movies were like Navy SEALs. You know, these elite units that get in, get out and, you know, like you don't see any suffering. They just they just get to, you know, shoot their target from a thousand yards away and um, and go home to their, their wife and kids. So for, for me, you know, the, the image of the military was like it was dark and, uh, you know, it was, was going to be brutal. But but I also love the idea, you know, when you're young. Uh, I just like the idea of being physical and 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 being active and um, well, you must have been an athlete if you're yeah, I played you know I played high school to yeah, full scholarship. yeah yeah I played you know I, I played high school football and and they got me a scholarship to to, to play in college and uh, but what's interesting is even after college because I was injured in college uh, after I had I had redshirted my first year, which means you don't play your first year, but you still get to keep your, your scholarship. So then you get to be in college for five years. So the first year you red shirt and then the next four years you can play. So it's almost like your first year is like an internship where you just get to learn and watch, but you never get to play. And not, so it's not like you're injured or something. No, it's just it's not like, like a injured. way to like hold your spot on absolutely, the team or something. Absolutely. Cool. And so, you know, if you're watching a, a college football game, you might hear, you know, he he started as a red shirt freshman, but they but they needed him due to injuries or because he was so good, they, they, they were like, we need this guy on the field uh, right now. Uh, I wasn't so good that they needed me on the field right now. So I redshirted my first year. And then um, my third year in college, I was paralyzed from a double stinger. I hit a guy and then both my on a football field. Uh, and um, I had numbness go down both of my arms. And I was, uh, I was, I woke up paralyzed the next morning. So it wasn't an immediate par- paralysis. It was a delayed. It was a 24 hour. So it hour. wasn't like you get carried off the field and go no, straight to the hospital. No. Right, right, right. It's, it's nothing like you, you see in the movies and not that that can't happen. Obviously, obviously it, it can and, and has happened, but there's also a delayed paralysis where, you know, you hit somebody on Monday and then Tuesday you wake up like, oh, I can't. That believe. feels almost more scary. So you uh, just yeah. woke up in your bed at home and could not. Move? Yeah. Yeah. I was like in my dorm and, you know, and my roommate was out the room and I'm, I'm just laying in. I remember like he walked in a room 
And, you know, you're paralyzed. You can't move. So I'm just laying there. He's like walking around, you know, brushing his teeth, ask, you know, talking to me. And I'm just like laying there like, uh, uh, you know? <laughs> and then finally, like, I was just able to come to on my own and then uh, went to the doctor and, and they said that I had like uh, three bulging discs in my neck and I can't play anymore. So they're like, your, your career is done. And then uh, and they cut to like 10 years later, I was working out at Gold's Gym doing like a reverse tricep dip and felt something in my neck and I go, huh, I think I'm going to wake up paralyzed again tomorrow. Because I just remembered that feeling. You know, it wasn't a painful feeling. It was just a very subtle forewarning, foreshadowing of what's to come. And then sure enough, uh, at like the age of 32 or something, um, I woke up paralyzed again. And then I go to the doctor and I go, you have six bulging discs. So they were like, we have to operate because I had like literally little to no strength on the left side of my body. So and now I'm here. Okay, let's jump back to college. So you got the scholarship to football. And then while you, that happened your third year? So my, my junior year. Right. Got, okay. Yeah. When you were then in college, then did you have any, were you still like, hopefully I'll get picked up, you know, by a team after college? Or did you have, again, any more ideas? Well, what am I going to do with after college? Or were you just enjoying being in that moment? And then what shifted once? So, when, you oh, know, I yeah, once you get into, once you get into college, you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to get drafted. I'm going to be a pro. Like, I'm going to be a pro. Like, the, I mean, what, why, why else are we here? And then you play against guys who you know are going to go pro and you go, I'm not going pro. <laughs> I'm not, I'm nowhere close to, there's not enough you know, th- there's this idea that if you just work hard, you can get anything you want. It's not true. There are there are levels to things. There are <laughs> there are um, there's only there's only so much work you can put into a thing. Um, but you also need uh, some talent and you need some luck uh, to get there. And, um, you know, and you need some genetics. You know, uh, there there are guys who are on the team who are like six five, and a sh- and shredded like two hundred and fifty pounds, and I'm like six one and a half, uh, like a a nice little like chubby baby weight. I was two seventy five at my biggest, and um, it, you know, it, it, it's not enough. So then, were you, while you were playing, did you have that realization like? Okay, I don't know if I'm gonna end up going pro. I, I knew I, I was otherwise? like, I'm definitely not gonna go pro. Did but, you have then any ideas of what you would do for a career? Well, you know, I've always been a a, a student and lover of life, uh, and that's the way my mom raised me. You know, from a young age, she said, "As long as you live under my house, you're gonna be learning or earning." Um, so you either going to school or you going to work. Basically, is what she was saying to me. So, I'm already telling my four-year-old that yeah. when she tells me she doesn't want to go to preschool. I'm like, well, and I'm sorry, you're going to have to get a job. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's the best parenting, but I'm like, that's how life works. <laughs> well, it's, it's important that, you know, that we instill uh, a philosophy or mindset in our children because uh, when, when we do that, then it allows them to be flexible, right? Um, in terms of, you know, you have some parents who say you're going to Harvard. Right. You know, they're telling their four year old, you're going to Harvard. That's and, and that's different than telling a four year old, you're always going to be learning. I don't care under what circumstance. 
So that gives you more flexibility. So now it doesn't matter if I go to Harvard or if I go to Yale or if I, you know, if I, if I go to uh, well, it culinary school. doesn't matter if I go to Harvard or, or Yale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or, or if you go to. Or the community college. Community college or, you know, McDonald's. Like there's always an opportunity to learn. And, and so it doesn't matter what your environment is. Uh, you can you can learn new things. And um, and, and so I was always grateful for, to my mom for that. But I forgot what the question was. But I, I definitely. After I was like paralyzed uh, in college and realized I wasn't going to go to the next level, I uh, signed up for the Marines. Yeah, I signed up for the Marines and I went through the physical, which had I known that the physical was going to re- require a uh, rectal exam. Uh, I may not have, I, I probably would have been more decisive. I, and, uh, cause I didn't go through with it. Um, I ended up going to get my master's in counseling psychology. So, uh, oh, that, that was the question. I right. was like, was like what, well, what are my do? options here? Yeah. What would I do? And so, but once again, the Marines or the military was going to be my option again after college. Cause I was like, I don't know what to do. And I didn't want to pay for grad school. I was like, how much is grad school? That, that's insane. And I was lucky enough to get a graduate assistantship. A graduate assistantship, it pays for your grad school in return for your labor. So I worked at an office desk job as I got my master's in uh, counseling psychology with an emphasis on vocational rehab. But I ended up counseling inmates and married couples. So how did you get, what made you be drawn to psychology? Uh, You know, when you grow up in a household where your dad isn't there really, and you have a a mom and a younger sister, you become the quote unquote man of the household. Uh, But but it's a mixed message where you're the man of the house, but you got to be in bed by eight. Or, you know, you, you, you can't, or are you going to bed without dessert, right? It's like, am I the man or the child? Like, wh- which am I? Like, pick a side, mom. And you also end up trying to negotiate arguments between your mom and your younger sister. Like, I was that person where my mom would say, wait till your brother comes home to my sister. Oh, wow. And then I would, I would literally sit my mom and my sister down to work through whatever because my sister is very fiery and I was more of the, I, you know, I'm more introverted and, you know, more reflective. And my sister is more extroverted and way more fiery. So my mom and my sister were, were always, not always, but they would often um, get into arguments and I would have to settle the disputes. Wow. That's amazing. And also maybe a lot to deal with as a kid. Like, did you feel some sort of uh, like gratification of like, oh yes, let me be the mediator. And then also like, I'm sure draining. Like, I'm just a kid. Well, I think as a kid, you don't realize it's draining, right? You're just kind of doing and trying to uh, keep the peace. And then as you get older, you realize that the, I don't want to say consequence, but the result of taking care of everybody else's feelings is that you don't address your feelings or emotions. You don't, and you feel like you don't have anywhere to go to to get your needs met because you're focused on making sure everybody else's needs are met. So at the age of, I just turned 46, uh, March 18th, 
uh, I'm just now learning how to express my needs. And, but first, even just be, even be aware of what they are because I've been so outwardly focused. And so when, so when this interest in, in pursuing psychology, it wasn't more just like, oh, I know I'm good at helping people work through their feelings, you know, like what, not like, oh, let me understand more or like, yeah, like, do you know what more drove you to that? It's sort of just like, oh, I'm good at, yeah, talking people through things and mediation. It was natural, Uh, you know, even from a young age, not just my mom and my sister, but even my friends from me would come to me for advice, for solace, for understanding, you know, I was just that person. And so I found even for myself, uh, some gratification or enjoyment from listening to and helping other people uh, work through what they were going through. So it was just who I, it was a part of who I was naturally anyway. And so, you know, my environment just fostered that. And how did you end up working with inmates? Was that just like a, like a part of a program that you were a part of or like so yeah, in, in college so as even in high school I was kind of fascinated with serial killers I would read like crime fiction books and anything with serial killers you know I mean I think the world for a period and even now you look at Netflix every documentary is about serial killers well now no, I feel like it's even more so absolutely. a fascination it, it was it was like a huge fascination when I was a kid and then I felt like it kind of slowed down or died off. And now there's, I think with Netflix and these streaming services, it's like hit a newfound popularity. And so I was like, wow, I mean, you know, understanding human behavior of why somebody would do this and, and not so much like how could they do it? It was like, why? And, and what, was it, what was their thought processes? And and it was so that kind of thing was fascinating to me of understanding the philosophies and paradigms and, and what drives people uh, to do a thing and also how to read people's behavior. So, you know, what was really fascinating to me is how you can arrive to a crime scene and from the crime scene determine characteristics about the person. Right. Like, you know, those uh, we, that's why you have FBI profilers. They can show up and be like, this person's highly educated between the ages of 35 and 45, white male, single parent household, uh, probably drives a truck and, uh, you know, on his third or fourth divorce. Like these are these are these are real things that you can kind of discern from a crime scene. And, you know, so that that really got me fascinated. And so I started working at a. uh, a local jail. My, I was fortunate to have a, a professor, Dr. Meunier, who kind of uh, took me under his wing and uh, let me um, w- work with the population that I should not have been at as an undergrad. But he just saw so much potential in me and, and the kind of work and, and like the papers I was turning in were about serial killers and things that were aligned with his research interests. So uh, he kind of nurtured that and gave me some opportunities early on with that. And then I ended up working at a youth opportunity. It's called the YOC, Youth Opportunity Center, for kids who were placed there by the court system, um, either because of their behavior or because their their home life was uh, so, uh, you know, chaotic that this was a safer place for them to be. 
So some heavy situations. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What was the experience of working with inmates? I mean, yeah, like I'm guessing I'm you can't generalize anybody, but yeah, like, you know, did people was it like were you sort of giving them therapy sessions in like or like, you know? You can't really um give inmates therapy sessions. It's because they're in such a that world, the prison world, the jail world, re requires a, a, an entirely different set of skills, coping skills, behavioral skills. And so some of the things that would be effective out here may not be uh, as effective in there. So I, I felt like my role was more to listen and understand and just keep them talking. Because, I, you know, I also recognize I was very young and also the, the inmate population was always turning over. So you may only have two or three sessions with the same inmate before they got transferred and, and because it was a jail. So to think that I could do some really in-depth work with an inmate, that, that would have been unreasonable. So I just really was trying to understand what they're experiencing, and then also just helping them to feel heard and listened to and not, and not judged. Do you feel that having that experience like gave you a lot of like groundwork or just, you know, like for humans in general, you know, or not groundwork, I don't know what I'm saying, but like, did it give you a deeper understanding, compassion, or like, was it totally different than, you know, you know what I mean? Like how, how did having that, that experience support you moving forward? I was becoming a criminal, uh, you know. You were becoming a criminal. Oh, yeah, I was at least criminal-minded, <laughs> you know, because, you know, these inmates, they would come in and they... <laughs> I'm, like, thinking it taught you, like, about human behavior and the way to support other people. You're like, oh, no, it taught me how to no, be a No, no, it taught me, like, how to, how to break into houses, how to <laughs> rob a bank, how to pickpocket people, how to, you know, if I need 10 grand real quick, I know exactly how to do that. I mean, you know, because... One of the things that inmates like to do is brag about what they've done. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, you're like, you know, I'm, I'm a 21-year-old <laughs> kid, and, and I'm just like, what? And like, I'm just fascinated. They could tell, I'm sure, my pupils were dilating. <laughs> I was just so fascinated by They're like, let me entertain yeah, this guy. Absolutely. Okay, I got a story for you. So, you know, I, I, I learned, I, I was learning so many tricks of the trade, you know? And, but also, um, you know, it kind of, uh, breaks your trust in humanity. Because if you, you know, our, my professor, Dr. Meunier, and I, I don't know if he's still, I would, I would hope that he is. But um, I remember on our first day, because it was me, myself, and a few other uh, young therapist interns going in. And he said, listen, you're either going to become a sheep or a wolf. And this is before, you know, Denzel's training day. But he said, it, you know, either they're going to eat you up alive or you're going to be a person who starts eating people alive. Like you're, you're not going to, basically he was saying, you're not going to be the same. Like you, you're not, you're not going to be able to do this kind of work and be unchanged, right? It's going to have an impact and an effect on you. And I started to feel myself becoming a wolf. And I, I didn't like that feeling. I, I don't want to walk through the world thinking about, oh, that guy is clearly a pedophile. He hits his wife. Um, or, you know, that kid is being neglected or, 
oh, I could rob this old lady. Look at how she's holding her phone. Uh, she doesn't even know how vulnerable she is. You know, like you, the, the, you just start seeing how you can get one up on people or circumstances or situations. And, you know, I, I'd be at a point where I'd be at, like at a house party and like, you know, three o'clock would be the perfect time to break into this house when they're all home because when people are home, they don't have their home alarms on. So I can come in through the back door. They have a five bedroom house. They wouldn't even hear me. I have access straight up to the bed. Like you, your brain, you're not even doing it intentionally. Your brain just starts seeing angles. And it's literally like how you see it in the movies where like their brain just, and all of a sudden they go, I got a plan. And then, and, and it scares you because you go, if I'm planning it now, at some point I'm going to want to like execute on this. So I, I, I stopped working with inmates uh, after a few years because I just didn't like that, the way my brain was starting to operate. And on what point did you end up become interested in comedy? I've always been interested in, in comedy. I, you know, my mom is from Belize and uh, uh, laughter has just always been a part of the household and the family. And uh, my mom has one of the biggest laughs in the world. And, uh, and I just found very early on that you know, making people laugh, entertaining people, it, it, it's, it's prevented me from getting jumped a few times on the streets. Uh, it's probably also been a reason why people want to jump me on the streets because I, I took a joke a little too far. You know, I said uh, something too personal about moms. But so yeah, so I've always been interested in comedy and, and storytelling. And I remember being at day camp and I, I think I had to be like maybe. 10 and our camp counselor, you know, counselors, I, I mean, <laughs> it's so funny because when you go to these, uh, these day camps as a kid, it's really other kids watching kids, right? Like they're teenagers or like maybe early twenties, but they're very young. And so I remember our, our counselor telling us, uh, these dirty jokes and I was the only kid who laughed. I was the only one who got them. And, and I think looking back, I was like, well, I was the only kid who, to get those jokes. And I realized my mom, even though she doesn't read, she, I mean, she can read, but she just is not one to pick up a book. She always, she recognized that my sister and myself love to read. So our house was filled with books, encyclopedias and books on every subject. We had books on uh, science and sex. And so like, as a kid, like I knew what like the areola was and the labia majora and like, you know, I, I understood all the physiological terms and, and I knew where babies came from. Like, you know, these are just, I was just absorbing of, of all the, the, the books that were on our shelves. And, and so I remember him telling us a joke and I was like, man, how do you do that? How do you tell a joke and make people laugh? And, and so as I got older, I started, you know, reading about jokes and telling my friends jokes and they would laugh. And then as I got a little older, like in, in college, um, the big thing to do was to tell stories in, in the locker room. You know, guys were always talking about what we did over the weekend and who we hooked up with or whatever shenanigans. And, you know, I very early on just started telling outlandish stories that were like grounded in truth. You just sprinkled but I would exaggerate the, yeah, oh, uh, yeah. It would, it would get real um, Guillermo del Toro or uh, I forget the, 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 the director who works with Johnny Depp. 
but it, it would be it would get real out there and I would just have fun with it. And so I, I think it just evolved from once again, it was just kind of natural, a natural interest to me of loving to make people laugh, wanting to make people laugh and just evolving how I did that over time. But at a certain point, did you decide that you wanted to like try comedy on more than just telling stories to your friends and stuff? So, yeah, once, you know, so I go through grad school and then I'm about to graduate and I go, well, what am I going to do now? Like my whole life has been, what am I going to do now? You know, uh, I know Kevin Hart, I think, has a, a comedy special called What Now? But that's been my whole thing. It's like, all right, I've, I've completed that. What am I going to do now? And uh, and then I signed up for an open mic. Oh, so after I, I graduated from grad school. Uh, oh, right before I graduated from grad school, my last semester, I signed up to do a, a play uh, in a local uh, city theater and uh, audition. What made you want to sign up for a play? Well, I just wanted to do something creative. Yeah, I wanted to do stand up, but the, the closest comedy scene was 90 minutes away and I, my schedule didn't allow for it. And I was like, let me do something. And you know, I'm reading through the newspaper and there, uh, there was a play called 12 Angry Men, and, uh, which is a very famous uh, uh, play. And I was like, oh, that's even that's perfect. You know, I didn't want to do it. I can't do a musical or but I was like, I could be angry for <laughs> sure, you know, and uh, I auditioned and I was juror number 10. So and, and that was a wonderful experience. And then after that, you know, or during that, people were like, you're amazing. You should move to L.A. So I did. And now I'm here. Psst. Trisha here bringing you a brief interruption. Please, 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 please. Right now, on your phone, anywhere you are, go to ftheshouldsdothewants.com and pre-order my book. And if you already ordered it, make sure to go there to enter your info so that you can claim the early order bonuses. The early bonuses are you get immediate access to a five-part video bonus series. The only way to get them is by pre-ordering. And I go into five of the biggest shoulds. It's different. I mean, some of it is overlapped what's in the book, but I'm also giving you like more tools for moving through these things and supporting you. You also are going to get an exclusive tapping meditation from Jessica Ortner of The Tapping Solution. And a free ticket. Again, you can only get these things by pre-ordering and entering your info so I know to get it to you. A free ticket to the live virtual book release party slash workshop. It's going to be May 17th. If you can't make it, you will also have access to the recording only if you pre-order. On this workshop slash party, we're going to start with Robin Euclid with a guided grounding meditation, a little questions, then I'm going to lead a 30-minute, probably unshould yourself workshop. The thing will hold probably be about 90 minutes. So I'm saying about 30 minutes with Robin, 30 minutes solo with me, leading you through this unshould yourself workshop. And then we're going to have Jason Mraz, who wrote the foreword on for another little bit of conversation, and he's going to play us a few songs. So you get a little mini concert that you only get access to from the comfort of your own home if you pre-order the book. Go to ftheshouldsdothewants.com to 
see all the retailers you can order from, and more importantly, to claim the bonuses. The only way to claim the bonuses is through that page. So you can order from anywhere, but then go to ftheshouldsdothewants.com to claim the bonuses. Thank you so much. If you've already pre-ordered, you know, I'm telling you, get the book, get the book, the book. And it's because I really want it to support you in trusting yourself more, loving yourself more, being so much more compassionate with yourself and uncovering these things that I'm going to share with you in the book and giving you simple ways to uncover them yourself in your daily life. Okay? So this book is not about me. It's about you and what it will do for you. I really believe in it and um, I just can't wait for you to get it. All right, back to the episode. Wow. So you were you were about to graduate from graduate is that right? Grad school. From grad yeah. school. Decided to do this play. Loved it. People loved you and just moved to LA. <laughs> and so when you moved to LA, did you then try to all get into or an are you and then like pursuing acting and comedy? Or was it then like Okay, I'm just in LA. Okay, now let me try comedy. Uh, I was like, let me do all, let me try do all the all things. Do all the things. Yeah, do all the things. Put yourself you know, out just there. Just jump in, put myself out there. I didn't know anything, and I didn't know anybody who was in the industry. So all I knew was to to go. And so how did you do? It. Yeah, what'd you do first? I, I, I auditioned. I. But so uh, like to audition, how do you? You know, it's like. Oh, uh, great question. It's like you so don't just <laughs> you. So you know, it. This goes back to. I tell people. Your, your foundation is there for a reason. Always go back to your foundation. And my foundation has always been learning and earning. And so part of learning for me has always been reading. And so as soon as I get to LA, I'm like, okay, what do I need to read? I go to the bookstore. There has to be books on um, entertainment. And so there just happened to be a bookstore in Los Angeles, I forget the name of it, just for artists. So whether you are, want to be an actor, a comedian, uh, uh, a writer, wh whatever you wanted to do in the industry, whether you want to be an agent, this bookstore was just for that. And I go in there and I grab a couple books. I learn that there are a few uh, trade papers that, you know, there's, there's like a, a weekly paper. I think it was, there's the LA Weekly, but I forget. Uh, oh, Backstreet. I think it was called Backstreet. Backstage? Backstage, yeah, Backstage West. I was like, I, I don't so, know, but all of a sudden Backstage, I'm like, I could be, that's like a catering company, probably that's probably a million different things backstage. <laughs> and so they had the list of agents and managers, uh, photographers, like all the things. And so I just started contacting every single one of them. I would, I'd mail, I mailed out, you know, I got headshots. And then I contacted, you know, I went through a few bad managers, a few bad agents, some bad headshots. You know, you're learning, you, you don't know. And, and you just kind of stumble your way forward. And then did you also start trying to do comedy as well? Like just showing up at open mic nights or? Yeah, I was like going to open mics because in that, in, that, in that paper, they also had a list of where the open mics were and where the comedy clubs were. So, you know, calling them, contacting them, showing up, you just. You're just going. You're just working. I'm just learning and 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 not really earning, but 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 working on earning. 
And what motivated you and maybe still motivates you to like keep going and keep trying? Because breaking into anything is not easy. Well, usually, of course, there are people that it can happen just like, bam, or you get discovered or you get offered this. But I think for the most part, it is a lot of just showing up and trying and trying and trying. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Cheryl Sandberg has a book called Lean In. And I lean into curiosity. I'm too curious. I'm, I'm curious about Oh my God! Will this joke work? Will this? Will this? Does this happen to anybody else? This? What just happened to me? Will people relate to this? I lean into, you know, will this agent actually pick up if I call? If I just or if I just show up, will they? Like, what's going to happen? Um, you know, will this video that I make get a million views or one view? Will anybody care? I'm I'm just too curious about things, and I'm. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm too interested in a lot of things. You know, uh, I, you know, I have a bunch of books on my, um, on my shelf right now. And, uh, you know, I'm reading like six books. And one's about astronomy. One is about um, uh, Catherine the Great. One's about Attila the Hun. An another one is on why societies collapse. An another book is um, uh, It Didn't Start With You. Like, you know, just going back in, into your own history. So my, I have the, it's a blessing and a curse to have such a wide range interests. You know, I was baking bread during the pandemic uh, out of boredom. I went to, I was fortunate to go to a technical high school. And so we had wood shop, cast metal shop, uh, electric shop, auto body shop. And I took all those courses except auto body. And, and I regret taking that. but. Now with electric cars, those skills would have been, um, uh, you know, null and void anyway. But um, so I, I also have this yearning to get back to working with my hands again at, at some point. So for me, it's I've tried to not over identify myself as any one particular thing because I'm interested in so many things. And, and I find that people who can be adaptive and flexible and, and continue to move forward are people who don't allow themselves to get, you know, caged in or bottled in, or um, I forget what they call it in acting where you, you, you're like typecast as a certain thing. You, you know, I, I always am like, I'm just pursuing what I'm, I'm curious about, what I'm fascinated by and, and seeing where that takes me. You know, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I started my podcast before you kill yourself of like, you know, why would somebody want to end their life? Why does someone who is, um, you know, coming from a quote unquote uh, good home, have money, resources, friends, social, why do they end their life? And then why does somebody who's living on the street with uh, one arm, one leg and uh, a dog, what, what, why, why do they keep going? You know? And then why does a nine-year-old want to end their life? And, you know, there's just so many questions that um, I, 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 I don't expect to find answers to, but to have more of an understanding about. And the more I start, um, you know, I'm just leaning into 
the uh, astronomy and the universe and how it works. And it's just stuff that I'm, I'm learning now that maybe I learned as a kid, but now I have context for, right? As a kid, it's like you're learning so many different things and you have no kind, con- like, you know, you're in third grade or talking about interest rates and taxes. You're like, I, I, I don't even have money. What are you talking about? So, but now that I have money and context and experiences, all these little dots are starting to connect. And I, I think for some people, when they experience the midlife crisis, that's what, that's what is happening. I, I think midlife crisis, you know, has this negative connotation of, you know, young girl, sports car, blah, blah, blah. Yes, it's that. But it's also this realization of like, I've collected so many skills and experiences and I've, for the most part, been doing the safe thing. And then you go, there has to be something really cool I can do with all of this. It's kind of like when you open a fridge and you're like, and it's just like all these different random things in there. And then you, you go, oh, I think I could make something really cool besides a PB&J. Those are my favorite meals is like when you're like, I got to use this stuff before it goes bad or like, and you're like, what can I <laughs> make? And I'm like, you know, things that I would never have bought like ingredients for. And then I'm like, okay, I got to use this. And yes, or this is all I have. Like, those are always the best. <laughs> I-, I loved your framing of your curiosity. And like, to me, it shows up, you know, I'm like, you're giving yourself these possibilities where so often people shoot themselves down. Like, yeah, people aren't going to like that. I'm going to send the email and people are, he's not going to say yes. Or like, you know, so often we only see the no, or that's not going to work or whatever. And that you're like, you're allow the curiosity of, well, what if they like this joke? What if this, like that allows you to like lean in to doing it or trying at least. I love that. And I've been like a lot this year, I've been like throwing around like, well, why not? Why not just try? Why not do this? Why not just ask? Why not? Um, and that, yeah, like, it, and also I was like, well, if you think you're going to get a no and you're already prepared for that, then what's the harm? <laughs> but also maybe put your energy on the possibility of getting the yes, but it's like, you know, why not just go ahead and put yourself out there? You know, I, I think that um, uh, uh, there's such a trend of being positive and, you know, these affirmations, I am, I'm great. I'm amazing. I am, you know, especially these soul cycle classes and they're just trying to um, marinate you and all this positivity. And the downside of that is it doesn't acknowledge the feelings of, of pain and regret and hurt. And I bring it up to say that Oftentimes, what can also motivate me is to acknowledge when something sucks. To be like, this sucks. This is, this is a pain in the butt. This is just, you know, this is just miserable. This is tormenting. And there's something releasing about acknowledging how we feel in the moment that allows us then to move forward, right? Because, you know, I was at Starbucks yesterday and, or not at Starbucks, I, I was in Vons, but there was a Starbucks in the Vons. And this guy goes up to order and he goes, I'm going to be a pain in the ass. <laughs> and the girls immediately start laughing. The barista start laughing. 
because he had this long, ridiculous order. And but because he preempted it with, I'm going to be a pain in the ass versus, listen, you're going to love this. This is going to be amazing. This is an opportunity for you to turn your life around. Like he was just like, I'm going to be a pain in the ass. And the girls happily made his order because it was just such a, a funny awareness and, and, you know, a honest moment versus thinking that your long order uh, doesn't have an impact. And so I bring that up to say that, yes, when, when we are in these modes of like, I don't want to do this thing or I don't want to do that or this isn't going to happen or that isn't going to happen. Acknowledge how you feel, whether it's it, whether you're, you're feeling like this, this thing and, and this thing is going to suck or is going to be awful or God, that, that pool and the, and the water. Why is there so much water in a pool? Why are there other people like, like just allow yourself to complain? Because when we allow ourselves a, a chance to complain, it gives us ourselves a chance to reframe, right? But we have to acknowledge the pain first. If, if you break your leg, you know, and, and I'm talking to you about like, hey, but your other leg is great, right? Like, who cares? Like, let's first address the fact that I have a broken leg right now and do what we got to do. And then we can, you know, move forward from there. But we can't ignore that. But we feel like we could do that emotionally or mentally of where we could just ignore that kind of psych ache or psychic um, or that mental pain. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And even in my book that's coming out, the F the shoulds do the ones, get clear on who you are, what you want and why you want it. And I can tell like, it sounds like just do the once, like it's all positive, but really the book is looking at what you're thinking and feeling and naming it. And I say so many times in the book that I know there's even a spot where I was like, I know I've said this at least four times already, but like simply naming what you're feeling is like, you know, like basically like how key it is to acknowledge what you're feeling instead of just trying to like look for the good or see the positive or shift to what you want. Like I'm very clear, like, no, you're going to be like, really, you have to face yourself always constantly and what you're feeling and not like you're telling yourself you're wrong for feeling things and all of that, but like really how supportive it is and empowering it is to acknowledge what you're feeling and what you're thinking and what you're telling yourself about yourself and about life. And that sure, you're going to want to, like you said, reframe it and switch it. But like sometimes it's just how much it can ease for yourself in the naming it. Like, oh, I'm scared right now, or I'm pissed off right now, or this feels unfair instead of just trying to push through it or only see the positive in it. Yeah, so true. And, and, and I know that the challenge for a lot of people is that they don't really have an exhaustive vocabulary for their feelings. I grew up in a household where there was only two emotions, pissed and cool, right? That's it. And then even as an adult, it's either fine or good. Like, we don't have a lot of uh, vocabulary for nuance. Nobody says, I feel hurt or I feel powerless or I feel vulnerable or I feel exposed or I feel defeated or I feel scared or I feel inadequate, right? There's, there's such a wide range or I feel surpri I'm surprised or I feel, I, I feel a bit disillusioned or off balance. Like there's so many different ways that we can express how we feel, and we've limited it to good, fine, 
cool. I feel like crap. I feel like we need to like give ourselves a whole new prompts for when you're just like reconnecting with someone, even if it's like a best friend. When I get a text of like, how are you or how you're doing? It sometimes it makes me want to scream. I'm like, I cannot answer like if you want to like call me or can I leave you a voicemail describing how are you like, cause, because yeah, when you get, how are you or how have you been? It basically feels like, oh, good or okay. Or, you know, like it feels like that's all we have the space to say there. And I'm like that. I can't, like, I don't, (laughs) it's like, you know, and it's like, well, I know they're trying, I get like triggered and I'm like, this person loves me and they're trying to check in with me. Okay. Take some space. And then maybe you can figure out like a short, you know, like reply. But it, I think like that basic, like just the common it is caring for each other and wanting to know, but it doesn't leave space for much. Hey, how are you? And, and so, you know, that's part of our conditioning, right? We are, we're conditioned to when we meet somebody say, hi, how are you? And part of that is we don't, we want to check in with each other, but we also don't want to feel like we're taking up a lot of their time, we, right? And so we don't recognize that by not taking the time, it feels like you're not really checking in. Like, you don't really care. Like, how are you doing? That's what my cashier says. My best friend should be able to ask me a more detailed question about my day. You should be like, hey, how's that doctor's appointment? Hey, how is, you know, your, your, I heard your mom got a new job. Did she get the new job? Like, if you are my friend or my family member, the check-in should be a bit more specific. Hey, you know, you and uh, Michelle just got back from Alaska. Did, you know, did you did, did you guys, uh, you know, have a, a safe flight? Did you argue on a plane? You know, or did, you, did she pack everything for you? You know, how, how are you pooping? Did you poop two, three times today? Like, you should be able to be a little deeper when you're closer to me versus a generic, hey, hi, I, it drives me up the wall. So like one of the things I do is I ask Michelle like emotionally led questions where I say, hey, did anything today repel you? You know, or I'll say, oh, you know, she'll say I went to the gym. Oh, was there was there uh, anything, um, uh, you know, that that you were proud of that you did in the gym? You know, you can keep it, uh, you know, there's there's so much talk, new talk about like emotionally led leadership. And when we start off with emotions, you know, is there anything that, that kind of uh, scared you today? You know, these are more specific ways of checking in. Was there anything that excited you? Yeah. I like that. I also think that sometimes these, like, especially where it's like, the person who sent it to me a couple weeks ago was like a good friend of mine, but we hadn't talked in a couple of weeks because we're both just doing our lives. And so I do think there's also this pressure of, oh, I haven't talked to this person. We're about to ask them a question. So I should make sure I ask how they're doing because that's like the polite thing. You know what I mean? Where I'm just like, hey, yes, yeah, so we haven't talked in a couple of weeks. Like, let's just get to the point of like, you know what I mean? Like, that's where I'm also like, oh, like what? Now I have to sit here and think about how to reply with a how are you text besides a fine or great because I think that's like, like you know what I mean? you know me and like if you want to know let's hop on the phone or have a call and really get into how we are but what you just want to ask me about where i found that thing for the kids here it is like, <laughs> like you 
don't need to. <laughs> yeah, you can even ask ridiculous questions of like, did you stub your toe this week? You know, did, did one of your kids almost choke to death? Uh, did you witness any car accidents? Did you see a purple baboon? You know, like it, it isn't like we, we, we're, we take things so seriously that we forget that we can be childlike and ask ridiculous questions. Did you dye your hair orange? You know, this week, did you use the word yucky or yummy? Like, it doesn't have to be anything rooted in anything serious either. When I also, too, sometimes instead of, again, when I'm like sort of reconnecting with somebody, instead of feeling like, oh, let me ask this question, it's sort of, let me, I hope you've been, you know, doing some things that bring you joy. Like, I sort of, instead of giving them a question, just basically let them know, hey, I love you. And I know that life is a lot for most of us. So, like, I hope you do this or hope that instead of like giving them a, how are you? <laughs> Like, then they could reply with, oh, yeah, actually, it's been rough, but this. Or they could just be like, oh, look, Trisha cares about me. Anyway, last thing I want to get, you did mention about, like, why you started your podcast, but also, like, yeah, like, was that, what's the title again is, bef- it's like. Before you kill every, yourself. I, I question myself before I say it. So, yeah, what was the reason that you started your podcast and that is what you decided to call it? And what. Is your, like, what are you hoping to accomplish with it? So I life coach and, and I work with a lot of people who, mostly women who are very high functioning and uh, just thriving in their career, but they're struggling to find meaning in their personal life. And, and some have even thought about or even attempted uh, suicide. And from those stories and from all the stories that I've read the different books that I've read, the, the people that I've counseled, the, the research and the literature, the window for a person wanting to end their life, so small. It's a, it's, a tense, it's a 10 to 30 second window. This is why we hear so many stories about, uh, you know, a person wanting to jump off a bridge and then somebody, you know, says hi to them and then they go, you know what, I'm, I'm going to live another day. Or, you know, I, I've called the suicide hotline twice. And, and I remember one time I was just really in a, in a place of, of darkness and pain. And then a buddy out the blue I hadn't talked to in years was like, hey, man, I'm in town. You want to grab lunch? And immediately, like, I just lit up in that, that window. You know, and, I, and every night again, I'd tell him, like, man, you know, you saved my life that day. You know, it was just such a random. And so it's like. You know, before you kill yourself, you know, check in, check on your kids, do the laundry, uh, you know, just buy yourself 30 seconds and, and see what happens. You know, check on your neighbors, you know, take a nap, read a book, take a cold shower, do 20 push-ups. Nobody wants to end their life after they do 20 push-ups. I'm going to tell you that right now. Like, it's so hard. 20 push-ups is so hard. It takes so much out of you. You just like, so are you I, meaning I it takes so much now. out of you that yes, they won't have the energy then to go with yeah. their plan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, you know, there's this idea of like, do something harder than the thing that seems so insurmountable to you. And then it won't seem so overwhelming. Right. I remember I had a kickboxing coach. And he was, uh, it was our first session. He's trying to get me to throw these punches. And he's like, you're thinking too much. You're thinking you're too much in your head. You're too in your head. He's like, let's go do some push-ups. So we do, we do 10. And I'm thinking that that's enough. He's like, no, let's just keep going. We do 20. 
I'm like, all right, that's clearly the end of this. Nope. 30, 40, 50, 70, 90. We get to 100 push ups. Now I was, I was young where I could do 100 push ups. We do 100 push ups. He goes, all right, now you're ready to box. Because his idea was, now I got you out your head into your body. And now that I got you into your body, we can just be. We can flow. We're not in the past. We're not in the future. We're here right now. And that's all suffering is. Suffering is being too far ahead, being too far behind, and not being right here now. So before you kill yourself, find a way, whether it's through meditation, journaling, reaching out to a friend, reach out to an enemy, stop somebody at the bus stop. People want to talk. People want to connect. And people love to hear about other people's pain. I mean, it's why we watch reality shows and shows about serial killers. And it's why Law and Order is on its you know, 1,000th episode because we, I mean, we, you know, if there's a fight that breaks out, a little argument, everybody sticks their head out the window because we are here for the pain. We want, oh, oh, somebody else is in distress, not just me. Cool. That's part of, you know, there's a car accident. We all rubberneck. And so share your story. Call customer service. Next time, like a one of those uh, those those bots call you, and you know, hey, I was it'd be like, hey, man, you know, I was thinking about ending my life, and they can't hang up on you unless you use profanity. Found that out, so you can dump all of your things on any of these customer service people, or you don't even have to call and share your pain. You can just call and be like, and just talk to them, and they can't hang up on you. That's why they record those phone calls. So call somebody. It doesn't matter. Call your enemy. Your enemy would love to hear that you are struggling right now. I love the idea of calling a customer, so like, because it is like, yeah, even if it's recorded, whatever, it's like kind of anonymous. Somebody's talking to you, and also like they aren't really actually there to help you. Obviously, as customers are, but not for that thing. But like, just to be like, okay, just a real. It's actually kind of a safe space to just let it all out there, and like that person really, you know, it's like I think unfortunately. So many people suffer because they are afraid to open up to the people that love them the most, which is like so ridiculous, but makes sense. You know, like I get it, but it is like, you know, this fear of being judged, abandoned, whatever it is going to be. So, yeah, call the Verizon customer service or Wayfair, like call any customer service for some company. open up about like what and because I do think there's so much power too. I mean journaling and also but I think it's also so powerful to say things outside or out loud outside but yeah like what you're feeling and what you're thinking so yeah like not even getting a support like yes please see a therapist please whatever but the power of just voicing what you are feeling and thinking and then you hear it and it you're like oh wow really that's what I'm thinking and that's what I'm telling myself. Like there's, I think there's power in just saying things out loud for yourself to actually hear it. Yeah. I mean, and I love that you said outside, you know, I have a friend who, you know, takes these nature walks and, you know, will yell at the top of his lungs because there aren't a lot of places left anymore where you can just yell without somebody calling the cops on you or, you know, ushering their children uh, away. 
from the area. So yeah, yelling outside out loud, you know, those primal screams. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually a, a therapy technique. Well, speaking of that too, I often, uh, I've done this for years when I'm trying to work out something creatively, I will take a walk and like be talking to myself, but I have headphones on. And so just, it looks like I'm talking to somebody on the phone, but I'm like, you know, like doing a presentation or trying to figure out the copy for something I'm writing or whatever, because talking and walking helps me. But yeah, you could do that for yourself. <laughs> like just go for a walk, talking to yourself about what you're thinking and feeling. Your cell phone's on. You don't even have to have anybody on the phone. Get outside in nature <laughs> and talk as if you are like sitting in a therapist's office and you're very safe because there's no one there to judge you. <laughs> Yeah, and you could even record your own voice, you know, in, the, in those moments. So you can you can do it one of two ways of re- recording your 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 thoughts and ideas when you're in a heightened a, a state of uh, distress, or even recording yourself when you're in a calm state, so that you can play it back when you're in a heightened state of distress. I find that listening to my podcast sometimes uh, is soothing for me when I feel a bit emotionally charged, just kind of hearing my voice and hearing someone else uh, sharing that works. There's a, um, a former Navy SEAL, David Goggins, who uh, posted a, a video uh, about a surgery he was going through. And a bunch of people were saying some hateful stuff in his comments. And so he recorded uh, all the hateful stuff that they had said and he played it back for himself as motivation to rehab and to get better and come back stronger. So, you know, the idea here is that we have to be creative in our in taking care of ourselves. That all the, the solutions aren't going to be in every book, and there are going to be some great solutions in you know f the shoulds. Uh, but it's a foundation. It's a framework. It's something to use in addition to other skill sets that you come up with and, and find finding a way to make it your own. Like your mom had, you know, a recipe for a thing. And, you know, yes, you write down a recipe and you cook it like that. But add your be like, you know what? I prefer mine with a little this or a little that. Or, you know, I meditate for 20 minutes. Some people might be like, you know what? I just need two minutes uh, a day or 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night. Like tailor make it. Like, I don't know if you ever wore a tailor made shirt, but a tailor made shirt versus an off the rack shirt. Like it, you go, oh yeah, this is, this is what we're talking about. I mean, that's the whole point of the book. It's like, I'm not saying F these shoulds, but here are the ones that I'm telling you to do. It is like looking at and my own discoveries of, oh yeah, like, you know, one story is like, I read this organizational maven person who is super successful. This is the way that she said to have an organized home and, you know, like was to do a load of laundry every morning. Like that helped her feel like less overwhelmed with laundry and young kids. I tried that. That made me more overwhelmed and stressful. You know, it's like these things like figuring out what works for you and allowing it to shift and change too. And so that's what I'm saying. Like sometimes in my life, this is what works for me. Sometimes this. And like, yeah, it's figuring out what feels best for you in that moment and nurturing yourself and listening to yourself. So yeah, like I'm giving you lots of guidance and suggestions of the book, but it's all basically, no, it's you. And also giving yourself compassion 
not like, oh, I messed up or I did this or blah, blah, blah. Like, no, like keep coming back to yourself and what's working for you and what's your feeling in the present day and not, well, this is what I used to do. So this should work. Or this is what so-and-so says, or this is what Trisha says. So I should do that. Like it's constantly looking at what works for you right now and what feels good for you right now. What nurtures you right now? Not. And that requires effort. Constant. Yeah. And, you're constantly and, facing and, and, yourself. And I know sometimes, <laughs> yeah, we, we don't want to put that effort in, but, but that's where effort is. You know, there's a, there's a difference between effort and work and, and, and effort is more mental and then physical and work is and, and, and you know the effort is more in the planning in the forethought right where the work is now we now we're executing what we what the plan is we're executing on what we we thought about right and a lot of us just want to do the want to go to work right we just want to work just tell me what to do and i'll do it but that effort right how many t- i mean like F the shoulds, great book. But unfortunately, what most people might do is just read it and then be so happy that they re- read it, to maybe talk about it, and then pick up another self-help book. And they're not going to execute and put the effort in to exercising the exercises from your book. They're, they're, I'm sure you have things that you're asking people to do or practice or, you know, engage in. and you know, people will read it and be like, oh, that was nice and not take the time to ingrain it into their DNA, into their muscle memory. Uh huh. Yeah, I know. I've been like coaching for over a decade and I get so frustrated with people because I love them and I want them to live their lives and seeing the same people with the same things. And yeah, the whole thing though, that's what I, like, I'm so aware of that. The whole book is based around paying attention to this one word should. It's so much deeper and it gives so many levels, but I am again like, yeah, you're constantly on this quest to better your life and feel more connected to yourself in this. But like, are you actually doing the work? I'm like, if you can just focus on one word, like that's basically the the goal of the book. <laughs> like try just paying attention to this one word when you feel it, when you think it, when you see it. That's the main thing of the entire book. It's so many much deeper and there's different questions and stuff, but that's like, I'm trying so hard, Leo, to make it be a little bit easier for people to help themselves, (laughs) but that's still going to be up to them. And it's a daily thing. I still feel the weight of shoulds, even though I gave the word up over a decade ago, but it's like something that gets me super aligned in the moment constantly, but it is daily effort, as you said. And I love that. Like, yeah, the difference of effort and work. And I also say in the book, like most of us, yeah, like we do live a life of shoulds unconsciously because it feels easier. It's easier to look around and go, oh, what should I do? What should I eat? What should I like? What should I look like? To then be like, well, what do I want? Wait, what am I yeah, it lets feeling? Us off the hook. Totally. Yeah. It's easier, unfortunately, to follow the shoulds and look at what, sh- what, a- what does the world want me to do instead of what do I want? And get quiet and actually ask yourself and then follow That's it. That's why Cosmo is still, you know, in business. These magazines, Men's Health, Cosmo, 10 ways to eat, five things to do. And the wellness industry is like, yeah, like the yeah. self-help and wellness industry is booming because people are like, please give me the answers. I need- <laughs> you, you can have them. Look inside. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we're all wanting the answers and we don't realize what we're missing out is 
on experiences. Um, okay. And that's where we really learn. Totally. I'm going to ask you the final questions. The first one is, what is a go-to to raise your joy levels when you want to boost your own mood? Practice. There's, there's nothing that brings me more joy than to sit down and practice uh, my guitar. And when I'm practicing, especially like a new song, and you know I'm working on getting the, the fingering right, and then there's a moment where you hear it and you feel it. And you could just, because in the beginning, it's a struggle. It requires effort, once again, to learn a new song. And so you're, you're plucking. Each and every strain is like, ding, ding, you're just plucking. And then there's a moment where after effort, after time, after being intentional, that your fingers start to dance over the chords. And that brings me so much joy. Um, connecting with my girlfriend, like having conversations that are longer than how was your day? How are you doing? Really being present with her um, and, and feeling like we're both seeing and hearing each other brings me plenty of joy. Um, taking care of myself, slowing things down, really just kind of being grateful for what I'm doing right now and recognizing that it's enough, it's satisfying, it's potent and um yeah just kind of you know those things the things that we that that, that post effort glow love that um okay i ask everybody to apply this phrase to their own life what is easiest for you is not always what is best for you it could be like a natural habit or way of being so what is easiest for me is blank what is best for me is blank what's easiest for me is uh, to make a peanut butter jelly sandwich uh, what's the best for me is, uh, you know, to go high protein, high fat, low carb. Um, what's easiest is to sit on the couch all day, but what's the best for me is to go swimming or for a walk. But, but even that can change, right? Because sometimes what's best for me is to sit on the couch and rest and recover, um, and and sometimes going for a swim is not the not the best thing for me. So you know, once again, it's about uh, attunement. But um, but you know, what's easiest for me is saying, "Hey, how you doing?" And what's best for me is to say, "Do I really am I really in a space to engage and be present with this person? Do I feel like I should? Am I checking in because I think I should check in, or am I truly interested?" Right? Am I operating from fear or faith? Um, so, yeah. Okay. And the last question is the name of the podcast is Claim It, because I feel so often um, we are trying to obtain things based on what they look like instead of feel like, oh, like, oh, if I do this, then I'll be successful, be enough, be worthy, be fulfilled. And then that just leaves us to chasing and chasing and chasing no matter how much we accomplish because we aren't actually connecting with what it would feel like to be enough, to feel, to feel enough, to feel like we're successful, to feel. And that I feel like if we put attention on how that feels, we can actually claim that feeling where we are with some intention and attention. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? 
enoughness. You know, just recognizing that I am enough, you are enough, we are enough. Um, you know, everything that I need, I have right now to to do the next thing, at least the the, the whatever the next thing is. You know, if I get caught up in 10 steps from now, then I'll be like, oh, I don't have enough. But I feel like we always have enough for the very next thing. I love But that. we definitely always have enough for right now. Yeah, I love that. That's why I feel like what stops us the most is that we make everything seem like so big and so hard. So we never make that next tiny baby step or try because we only see the like big, hard end thing. <laughs> Oh, there you are. Well, I was like, I was going to end it there, but it kind of froze instead of an actual ending. <laughs> oh, I could still hear you, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. You got like all frozen and I was like, well, I guess that's my ending. <laughs> I, like I oh, said, wow. I was planning on ending it um, there anyway. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. It was so great to have this conversation and get to know you a little bit. Yeah. And we'll get you on a podcast and, uh, and we'll have another wonderful conversation. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. You can find more from Leo at leoflowers.com. For full show notes, you can always go to your yourjoyologist.com backslash podcast dash Leo dash flowers or whoever the podcast guest is that you want to find the show notes on. It'll be their podcast dash first name dash last name. And for all things me, you can go to trishahuffman.com. I'm at underscore Trisha Huffman on social media. I also have Claim It Podcast, strictly for the podcast. I also have at Your Joyologist for my product line and app and more. Thank you so much for listening. Please, please, please go pre-order or order my book at F the shoulds do the once.com. You could order it anywhere that books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local bookstore. But if you go to F the shoulds do the once.com, you can claim three awesome bonuses, including a ticket to the virtual online party slash workshop that will be happening May 17th. And that's the only way to get a ticket to that is by pre-ordering the book and entering your info at ftheshouldsdotheones.com. I won't know that you pre-ordered the book unless you come and enter your info, okay? ftheshouldsdotheones.com. Claim your joy, claim your life, claim that you are meant to be here, to be alive. So allow yourself to be more alive in your life today.